As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. When you're previewing the AFC East, for better or for worse, the conversation just wouldn't be complete if you didn't spend a few minutes talking about the team that has dominated the division since 2000 in the New England Patriots. Can the Patriots maintain their throne, or will a new king emerge? Alex Shane from Pat's Pulpit joins us on the final AFC East preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. And here we come, wrapping up the AFC East, episode number six of these opponent previews. I mean, here we are, same place in the book, closing the book on the AFC East, moving on to the NFC West starting next week with the San Francisco 49ers. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for part four of the AFC East preview of the Chicago Bears review, and we're closing the book on the AFC East. As I've said, the New England Patriots, we're getting this one done, um, you know, what can you say? The Patriots have been enormously successful uh, for such a long time to the point where, um, you know, you can't help but hate them at this point just because you're sick of them winning all the time. It's almost boring uh, in a way that they just keep, you know, one victory after another, one postseason after another, one Super Bowl appearance after another. I mean, these guys have been in, what, nine or so? Something like that. Just a ridiculous amount of, of Super Bowl appearances. Um, you know, it's it's an unheard of amount of success for the length of time they've been able to do it in the NFL uh, for a league that has constant turnover with new, you know, new uh, players and coaches and things like that. There's always a hot guy for the minute and, and whatnot, and somebody goes on a miracle ride and stuff. And a lot of these teams have to run through the Patriots in order to find their success like Doug Peterson did in the Super Bowl with the Eagles uh, last year. So, but uh, one thing you can always count on you know, three things at this point, it seems like death, taxes, and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. It seems like <laughs> those are the things you can count on in life uh, right now. So in a few minutes, we're going to bring on Alex Shane from Pat's Pulpit and SB Nation uh, to, to help us talk our way through the 2018 uh, New England Patriots. Um, talk a bit about uh, what happened in 2017 and what kind of even for a 13 and three team was kind of an up and down uh, season. Uh, for them culminating in that loss to the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. But, you know, starting off week one, the defending Super Bowl champions to come out and lay an egg against the Chiefs week one on national TV, everyone started to wonder, what's going on with New England, man? Is, is Has their time finally come up? Is it is it over with? Are the Chiefs the heir apparent? And then, you know, for them to go ahead and, and win, you know, go 13 and, and two for the rest of the year, yeah, they're okay, and they're back in the Super Bowl again. So... Uh, we talked to Alex, uh, Alec about all of that uh, going here. Before we do, we've got two quick stories that I want to talk about before we get to uh, the interview. And um, the first one is one of those hearts and minds stories from our beloved uh, running back, Tariq Cohen. Um, not a native from North Carolina, at least I don't think he is anyway, but he went to North Carolina A&T um, and a, an elementary school out there in, in, uh, in North Carolina, I think close to where he went to school, I think Greensboro, 
uh, is where it is, or Hampton. I think it's, it's Hampton Elementary School is the name of the school. Uh, affected by a, turn, a tornado uh, out there, lost all of their uh, PE equipment, all their the stuff for the gym, you know, for the kids that go to gym class and whatnot. Tariq Cohen takes it upon himself to purchase new equipment, donate it to the school, and then came down to the school and talked to the kids. Uh, you know, and, and they got to meet an NFL player and, uh, you know, know that the, the equipment that they get to play with and enjoy uh, their exercise time in school is uh, because of him. Uh, just uh, another reason to love Tariq Cohen is basically what it boils down to. Uh, and, uh, you know, as the, the best kind of people often do, not really looking for the, the credits or, you know, looking to make a story or get his name out there. Uh, when somebody tried to, to to shower him with praise or whatever, he just kind of he's like, no, nah, I'm just a guy, man, just looking to help out the fellow man uh, type deal. So he's not looking to be like, hell, yeah, I'm fantastic. Of course, I did this thing because I'm me, you know, or something like that. It it didn't go down that way. Tariq Cohen, uh, humanitarian, doing a really great thing for those kids and uh, helping them, uh, you know, still be able to have some fun in gym class and then uh, getting them some equipment so they can enjoy their time. So that was the one story. The second one was kind of a uh, like, whoa, dude, did that really almost happen type thing? I read an article uh, this week about Walter Payton, of all people, talking about how in 1984, so just before the Bears won the Super Bowl in 85, and hell, even before the season where he set uh, the rushing record, where he broke Jim Brown's uh, rushing record in the 84 season, was this close, apparently, to signing a three-year, $6 million deal uh, with the Chicago Blitz of the USFL. Um, And at the time, in 1984, $2 million a year would have made him the highest-paid player in football, in all of football, to make $2 million a year uh, playing for the Chicago Blitz of the USFL. I mean, imagine. Imagine what that would have been like for for sweetness to, to... I mean... I don't, honestly, I don't know how that would have gone down. Would would Walter Payton still have been beloved in Chicago? I mean, because not only did he have, would he have had the balls to leave the Bears, but he would have had the balls to stay in Chicago and play for the Blitz. I mean, that is madness right there. I mean, could you just, just it's it's unreal. I mean, imagine today. With the, with the All-American Football League coming up and the XFL, those are going to be spring leagues, so there's no direct competition with the NFL. But just imagine for a second that there was a league out there that wanted to compete with the NFL, and they were playing in cities where there was already an NFL franchise. And your favorite player, let's just say for argument's sake, there's a new NFL, there's a new uh, pro football league in Chicago, and not only did, uh, did Erlacher leave the Bears to you know, to sign elsewhere, but he's staying in Chicago and playing for that rival, uh, rival league, that rival organization. And (laughs) how could he not think you'd have been the most hated man in football, uh, for doing that? I mean, it's, it's amazing that, um, that was a possibility. Now, I don't know if, if, if sweetness just used it for, um, you know, for cannon fodder to uh, to try to bring the Bears to the table with some more money because his contract was expiring after the '83 season to see if he could get the Bears uh, to, to come to the table with some more money to to sign him to a a proper contract, even though he was getting up there and entering his tenth season in 1984. But um, you know, to to be able to, uh, to, I mean, it's it's it just it's mind blowing to think that could have happened, that Walter Payton would have left the NFL, would have left the Bears, but stayed 
in Chicago. To me, I think that's more shocking than Sweeten is going for the money. At that at that point in his career, he's already in his 30s, uh, you know, that kind of thing. He's he's entering his 10th year in the league and and whatnot for him to try to, to you know to get a money grab and and that's not all that surprising but for him to leave the nfl leave the bears but ophthalmologist dr strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness he works with a virtual reality training platform developed by fundamental vr and orbis international to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need the result more confident capable surgeons and even more importantly patients who can see explore more stories like dr strauss's at meta.com metaverse impact as you write your life story you're far from finished Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Dot edu slash podcast. But stay in Chicago. Oof. That uh, it would have been a slap in the face, basically. You know, it, it's it's weird. It's um, I mean, it really wouldn't even be the same as somebody leaving the Cubs to play for the White Sox. It's 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 on a different level there. You know, it's just football is it's Chicago is such a football town. You know that there's uh, when especially when the Bears are winning, there's no more beloved franchise in the city than the Bears. I mean, it is such a football town, and um, to think that the greatest player the franchise has ever seen could have left us on purpose, you know, to just leave and keep playing football for another team in the same town. I mean, I keep coming back to that, but that's what was most mind-blowing to me. It, you know, it, 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 I still would have talked about it if... Walter Payton was signing with the, you know, Memphis Generals or whatever the hell, you know, or signing with the the L.A. Stallions or whatever the team was out there uh, and whatnot. That that would have still been surprising to hear that he would have jumped ship to the USFL, but it would have made sense. Two million dollars a year making you the highest paid player in all of football and all of pro football doesn't sound like that crazy of a move at the time. But if you're talking about leaving the Bears, the Bears Leaving the Bears, being the beloved... I mean, you also have to think about Chicago sports at the time. Chicago... I mean, Walter Payton was Chicago sports at the time. This was pre-Michael Jordan. This was pre-Ryan like Ryan Sandberg with the Cubs and, and all the rest of that stuff. The Blackhawks weren't doing anything in the 80s. Uh, you know, and all the rest of that stuff. This Walter Payton was it for Chicago. For him to leave the Bears and go to the Blitz... I can't imagine that he would have gotten any kind of decent reception the that first blitz home game uh you know playing for them you know it, it's I just I can't wrap my head around that like that would have taken some serious stones to make a move like that to to leave the NFL to leave the Bears to go to the USFL for the money not that crazy of a notion to me surprising that he would still think about it but nonetheless it would have made sense as far you know, he was he's in his 30s at the tail end of his career. He's got a chance to be the highest paid player in, in sports or in, in football, I should say. Um, not that outrageous of a move, in my opinion. But for him to stay in Chicago and play for the Blitz. 
Wow. That would have been, that would have been something. I mean, I just can imagine that uh, what my perception and my feelings towards Walter Payton would have been, had been, had that been the way that he finished his career. Would the Bears have welcomed him back because the, the USFL was dead like two years later? You know, would the Bears have made the Super Bowl without Walter Payton? I mean, the defense was amazing, but he was, he was the offense back in 85 in those, and even in his, his 11, 12 season, whatever it was in 85, I think his 11th season in the league, he was still, you know, one of the leading rushers in football and such a big part uh, of that offense. Do the Bears do it without him? You know, it's amazing to think about. It really is. I mean, it was such a mind blowing thing to, to see that. And, uh, you know, I would like to think that, you know, Sweetness did that to try to bring, get more money out of the Bears on a, on a new contract going into the 84 season. But, um, you know, it's it, it's crazy to me that uh, that was something that could have happened for for Walter Payton to leave the Bears but stay in Chicago and play for the Blitz. I just, you know, I've said it a thousand times already in the last few minutes, but it's just crazy to think that that was something that almost went down. So, anyway, I just thought that was a fun story to to kind of talk about and uh, bring that up a little bit. I mean, it just seemed bananas to me that he would stay in Chicago. That's the, like I said, that's the part I can't get over, but uh, that he would have stayed in Chicago. I mean, talk about, talk about balls, man. That'd have been something right there. But uh, anyway, asking to do it for our short little news and notes uh, section. We're going to go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up with the AFC East. Get Alex Shane in here from Pat's pulpit and SB nation to talk about the 2018 new England Patriots. And to help us put a bow on the AFC East preview, of course, working from worst to first, we talk to a, a team or talk about a team that is a permanent resident uh, of first place in the AFC East, of course, talking about the New England Patriots and here to help us preview these New England Patriots, Alex Shane from Pat's Pulpit and SB Nation. Alec, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So, Alec, uh, what we like to ask uh, our friends that we have on the show, I know we've talked before when I was with Football as America, but with first time having you on the Chicago Bears Review, um, we talked to, like, like, where are you from originally? Where are you now? Because everybody seems to be in a different market than the actual team that they're rooting for. And if you can, I know this might be difficult as a Patriots fan to kind of narrow it down to what your favorite memory as a Patriots fan would be. Yeah, so I grew up in Connecticut, uh, which does not have a football team. Obviously, we had uh, the Hartford Whalers for a while when I was a kid. We have UConn basketball, which is huge. But that's sure. kind of it in terms of a sports presence in Connecticut. Um, so you basically had to pick a city. You're a New York fan or a Boston fan. And I'm from a pretty small town in the shoreline in Connecticut where it's kind of divided. We're about two and a half hours from Boston and two hours and 45 minutes from New York. Hmm. So by that 15-minute stretch, I became a Boston sports fan. I went to the Red Sox games as a kid, went to the Pats games as a kid, kind of came up with the Patriots fan as, as a child. But now I live in uh, New York City, so I'm right behind enemy lines, living in Brooklyn, <laughs> New York, uh, surrounded by Jets fans, surrounded by Giants fans. Right. Um, but you know what? It's all right because you know, that, that's when you, you grow and you strengthen yourself as a fan when you're in there with the enemy. So it works out well. Yeah, and uh, so uh, can, can you narrow it down to like maybe the top 20? Uh, moments as <laughs> yeah, a Patriots so fan you know, there? It's funny, you know, obviously the Patriots have won five Super Bowls in my lifetime, which is five more than a lot of people see. Right. But 
in spite of all of it, like nothing, nothing will ever, no matter how well they do or don't do going forward, nothing will ever top the first one, the Adam Vinatieri field goal, the 48-yarder as time expired to beat the Rams 2017. That whole season from Bledsoe getting hurt to Brady coming in to the, the tuck rule game, the 9-11 aftermath, like everything about that season was absolutely magical and nothing will ever top that Vinatieri field goal to win the first one. Okay, good choice. Good choice. I, I like that. Uh, I have an odd favorite memory for the Patriots. I can't even tell you exactly when it was. I just remember All how right. awesome I thought it was because as a former offensive lineman myself, on that kick return against the Packers. Oh, um, Dan Connolly. There you go. Dan Connolly takes it and is basically just running and waiting for somebody to tackle him, yeah. and it turns into like a 60-plus yard return where he damn near scored a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, I think they got him finally, pushed him out at the five when they realized he's not going out of bounds. We actually have to tackle this guy, and he's out there putting moves on people, and he's running down the sideline uh, and everything, and it was um, reminiscent for me of the time that uh, Keith Trailer of the Bears back in one intercepted a flubbed Mark uh, Brunel pass and da- and ran out of breath before people finally caught him and ran him down on a, like a 60-yard interception return. It's like, here I am just randomly watching Sunday Night Football, and for that 30 seconds or however long that play was, I was the biggest Patriots fan on the planet yelling for that <laughs> fat guy to score a touchdown because how awesome would that be? Yeah, that was good. Keith Trailer, former Patriot, played for the Pats for a while as well. Um, sure. But uh, it's funny, you know, Connolly, if you watch that replay, I've watched it a million times. It's just like an all-time great play. He's holding the football like a loaf of bread. Yep. But, like, he like he, he cuts back and he stiff-arms the guy. Like, he breaks – he, like, jukes guys. It's That's a, what I was, it's yeah. an amazing, an amazing play. And you love that. It's funny. It's like when uh, Nate Solder caught the uh, touchdown pass against the Colts mm-hmm. in the A's championship game. Well, you know, when, when the big guys get their moment in the sun – O-linemen have the worst because either no one knows who they are and no one talks about them, which means they did their job well, or they gave up a hold or let a sack up and everyone talks about them for a negative way. It's always good when the big guys get their due right. for a positive play that gets credit. So a good, good call with that memory. I like it. Yeah, and, and even the, uh, the, the, the 06 AFC title game between the Colts and the Patriots were both Saturday and um, who was the O-lineman? Klecko, right? Klecko, Klecko I think. Yeah, yeah, both scored a touchdown for the uh, – for their respective recovered fumbles yeah. in the end zone for touchdowns in that game. Yeah. So it was a crazy, crazy sure. game. Um, yeah, so, all right. So, yeah, there we go. We got uh, got a sim- an easy memory. And we were just talking before I started recording that, um, you know, you said that you're in your, in your 30s, so you're old enough to remember what it used to be like to be a Patriots fan when it was not a good thing or you know maybe you didn't say it so loud or anything like that because you've been around like you you're the kind of Patriots fan I want to talk to because you can appreciate what's actually happening now because you've seen how badly it can go because at one point in your lifetime in my lifetime our lifetime the Patriots were the Cleveland Browns I mean, they weren't just bad; they were they were laughably bad. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a book out there by a guy named Jerry Thornton, Retro Barstool Sports, called "From Darkness to Dynasty," that basically relays the early years of the Patriots through that 01 season, and they were just such a laughing stock, not just in the NFL, but like they were probably the most ridiculous team in all of sports with just the scandals and the the, the drugs and just the the cocaine problems, and it was an absolute nightmare. Uh, again, I'm I'm 36, so I don't want to say I was around for the the Patriots of the 70s and and the early 80s or anything like that, but 
uh, that were very bad in the 90s. I remember that 1-15 in 15 season very well. There was a lot of down before the up, and so you're absolutely right. I'm really trying hard to milk every last snap <laughs> out of this dynasty. It's coming to a close. We're definitely at the tail end of it, which you can talk about if you want, but um, you know, it's, it's been very easy for me, especially recently, to kind of block out all the negative attention the Patriots get and just enjoy the ride, man, because this is going to be over before I know it, and they're going to be 5-11 and 11 before too long, and I'm going to be looking back on this time as the golden era of my fandom. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, and the fact that it's, you know, spanned, you know, almost three decades now. Yeah. You know, all no, of 2000s, I, the majority of the, of the you know, of this decade. And, uh, I mean, they're dangerously close into bleeding over into the 2020s now. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, if you're like 24, 25 years old, you've basically never known an existence in which the Patriots are bad. You just like, you were like four the last time they had a losing record, which is insane. You know, there are, there are people of legal voting age that have never seen a losing season in New England. It's just a crazy <laughs> experience, especially in the NFL, um, which is why I always encourage Patriots fans who get caught up in the, the nonsense and the media narratives and the negativity to really just take a step back and just take advantage of the opportunity we have here as fans. Because I can tell you right now, the Cleveland Browns fans would absolutely love it if the possibility of deflated footballs became a year-long national media scandal. They would kill for that kind of attention. And you got to take advantage of that. Well, you know, it, it very much, as a Bears fan, reminds me of, um, you know, like what you just said there about and there are people of legal voting age who have no idea what it's like to go through a losing season with the Patriots. As a Bear fan, that's what I've had to deal with running into Packer fans uh, yeah, over yeah. the last 20-plus years because you had Favre come in in 92, followed by Rodgers right off his heels in 2008 when he left and, and everything like that. It's been this sustained success of greatness at the quarterback position, which has carried them into one playoff season after another. I mean, they've only won two Super Bowls, but they've been in, in, the, in, the, in the discussion every single year. They've won more division titles than they haven't. Uh, over the over the years and it's like all that success you know a lot of Packer fans don't remember what it was like when they were the butt of the NFC year in and year out sure you know it's it's so funny the NFL is such a quarterback driven league to the point where if you don't have a elite quarterback you're not going to win it and everyone knows that going in and there's basically you know five or six teams every year as much as parity exists in the NFL Mm -hmm. unless you have one of those top tier quarterbacks you're not going to win a championship unless you have one of those miracle kind of hot runs which is why we watch Um, but yeah it's tough being in a division with a a perennial contender I I do I feel bad for Jets fans and Bills fans and Dolphins fans because for the past pretty much the entire 21st century they've been on on the outside looking up and they know going into September their best shot's a wild card spot. So it's a very hard dynamic to, to, to navigate if you're a fan coming into that kind of mentality, you know? Yeah, and that's basically the conversation that I've had with your, your cohorts from the from the AFC East is that um, you know, the reality that uh, everyone's playing for second uh, in the division and um, you know, year after year you see it happen um, and, and every now and then it there's some like little glimmer of hope Especially like if when we, as we, you know, go into 2017 and talk about the year there, week one, national television, the first NFL game of the season, the uh, defending NFL champions at home get trounced by the Kansas City Chiefs yeah. out of you know, and it just seemed like you know it it happened the last time that that uh, that everybody was starting getting worried about the Patriots and is Brady done was a Monday night game against New England where they got blasted by the Chiefs I mean by a huge margin and here yeah. you come big victory in the Super Bowl uh, over Atlanta the first overtime ever their crazy comeback win and, and and you know beating the Falcons and then kicking off 2017 it's just a bunch of 
uh-oh, after that first game. Yeah, no, it's funny, you know, when in the, I get asked a lot, it's like, are there, is there anything bad about being a Patriots fan? Is there like any negative thing ever about being a Patriots fan? And the answer is yes. And one of the things is, is they lose so infrequently that every loss is an absolute disaster. And it's a sign that Belichick lost the locker room and Brady lost his touch and they're in chaos and the dynasty's over and they suck now, especially on a home opener where you're raising your fifth banner. There's everyone's the the hyped up and it was a blowout. It wasn't even close. I think it was 42-27. Yeah. And that isn't, that isn't even reflective of the final score. It wasn't no. even close. Um, and especially the first game of the season, you don't want to see that. But, you know, it's just funny. It's, it's just what you have to do with the Patriots because – you can't take that loss and be like, well, they'll probably go 12 and four, and get a first round bye, because <laughs> that's like a nice, safe prediction. That's probably going to happen for the next two or three years or so. So you got to take these things to stride. But yeah, I mean, like it's it's easy to to get wrapped up in that, and um, and it, it makes for a more exciting conversation than than the Patriots are going to be fine. So people tend to kind of cling to those narratives, you know. Right, and then you know, week two after watching them get, get beat by Kansas City in the way that they did. Um, you're going on the road to New Orleans, a notoriously tough place to win a football game, and then you turn the table on New Orleans and trounce them 36-20, to 20, and all of a sudden the story gets flipped as in 10 days before on Thursday night, the Patriots had one foot in the grave, the dynasty is dead. Here we are 10 days later, they go out and smoke Drew Brees and the Saints 36-20, uh, to 20, and it starts to cool down like, okay, maybe they actually are going to be okay. Yeah, it's funny. That was a really weird first maybe six weeks of the season or so because there was the first blowout of the season and they killed the Saints and then they barely beat the Texans the week after with that miracle Brandon uh, Brandon Cook's touchdown in the end zone. Right. Then, then they lost to the Panthers at home. They barely beat the, the Buccaneers on Thursday night and then they barely beat the Jets. Those aren't, you know elite teams, especially with the injuries that they were racking up at that point. So no one really knew what the Patriots were through the first kind of half of the season or so. But as they always do, they they figured it out last year. You know, they they got it done and they made it within basically one play of a, a consecutive Super Bowl victory. And, you know, it's funny when you're you know, you have it well when the losing a Super Bowl isn't even in like your top 10 worst moments of your football career because you've been to so many of them, you know, right. um, it was. It was it was a fun season, and I'm talking to my Patriots fans, friends. It's almost like a a forgettable season. It's like, all right, yeah, 13 and three Super Bowl, no big deal. We we'll back again. Um, but that that first kind of six seven weeks of the season, maybe ending with that that blowout uh, at Atlanta, the, the the Sunday night game in Atlanta yeah. uh, at, at Foxborough, excuse me, that really weird foggy game. That's when they kind of turned it around. But uh, I think it's. This goes to show the versatility of the team last year and how it took them a while to kind of gel and find their ground and get Stephon Gilmore integrated into the defense. And once they did, uh, they, they're really able to become uh, uh, the explosive machine we're all used to them seeing. I mean, I just, uh, I, you know, year after year, I just come away thinking about what a genius uh, Belichick is to be able to find ways to keep the team, you know, up on itself as opposed to getting down. I mean, it re- Real easy that, you know, the first two losses of the season were both home games. Yeah. You know, the, the Patriots don't lose many football games at home. And then for them to, to end up losing, you know, basically their first two home games uh, or at two, two out of the first three uh, anyway, yeah. the way that they did, it's, it's, uh, it's shocking. And then it's like here they are. They're headed to Atlanta. They, they, you know, like you said, they've kind of been bounced around. They're four and two, but it's not an impressive four and two right. they're actually you know some would say lucky to be four and two at that point in the year they're on the road they're at atlanta atlanta's got a bone to pick with the the the, the patriots they you know they ruined their their big day uh on super sunday and then it's like the patriots 
just or excuse me, the Falcons never showed up for that game because yeah. the Patriots basically put their foot on the gas and didn't stop until the clock struck zero. No, definitely. I mean, the game was actually in Foxborough. It was a Sunday night game. Oh, well, yes, you're right. It was. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, everyone, the Super Bowl rematch and the Falcons were, were they going to have Super Bowl hangover? And that was that one game that we all had kind of circled back in April when the schedule first came out. And it was, it was cool in that the, the fog was so thick that kind of had to do the, the, the Madden view cam from behind Brady's behind center. Otherwise, you couldn't see a damn thing. Hmm. But it wasn't an exciting game from like a, a score perspective because it was over, like you said, most over by halftime. The Falcons scored a garbage time touchdown to bring it to, with it, to preserve the shutout. But, um, you know, I think the, the big issue, the biggest question mark we were concerned with as Patriots fans last year was the defense. The offense looked okay. Chris Hogan. Brandon Cooks, Gronkowski, they were, they were doing fine, but the defense looked so lost. The communication issues, uh, there were a couple plays where Stephon Gilmore was just so far out of coverage. Guys were 10, 15 yards open. We were worried if he one of those guys. Belichick has a good track record of finding guys that fit well in his system, mm-hmm. but you can point to these guys that they come in there and they just never quite figure out how to fit in. You know, the, uh, the Chad Ochocinco's and the Adelis Thomases of the world and, and Cassius Marsh had his, his thing about it's not fun to play here. So there's certain guys that can't quite figure the system out and they're worried about Stephon Gilmore being that guy but um, as they always do they know it's not a, a one game season it's a 16 game season and and the Patriots are very good at adjusting on the fly and making sure the personnel they have is the people they need to have make, make them win um, and you know the good thing about being a Patriots fan is you know even if they go have a little rough stretch and a, a rocky patch throughout the season come December they're going to be fine and they're going to go on a, a decent postseason run yeah I mean and uh, they they beat the Chargers to close out the first half of the year they have their bye week, week nine, and then the Patriots that everybody knows and loves shows up for the next four games, 41-16, to 33-8, 35-17, then 23-3 for four straight wins coming out of the gate to uh, start the second half of the year. And it was like, okay, so they still are the Patriots. I mean, they just wasted four, four opponents in yeah. a row coming off the bye. Yeah. Um, they, they, that's kind of what they do. And it's funny, we, after those games, I'm sure we can talk about that next, is there's always one game almost every single year that the Patriots lose that they have no business losing. Um, it's hard to justify uh, at Miami on Monday night being that game because divisional games are always kind of a toss-up. You never know. You see a team twice a year. You can kind of uh, manipulate your stats and, and gauge your opponent a little better. But um, the Patriots just looked so flat on that Monday night game. It was such a bad, bad game. And you see it year in and year out. They lost to a very bad Eagles team a couple years ago. They lost to the Browns a couple years ago. There are certain games that nobody shows up and they just have a really bad game and they just can't quite figure out how to get it done. And that happened on that, that Monday night game against the Dolphins. Yeah, that was it. That was an odd game. I mean, for uh, for it to happen, especially when you're only two weeks removed from beating them, thirty-five to seventeen. Right. Uh, then you come back on on Monday night, and after an easy win against the Bills, you, you basically you lay an egg against the Dolphins uh, on Monday Night Football, and then everyone kind of played with the uh-oh thing again because you looked really bad against the team that you trounced two weeks earlier, and you got that Pittsburgh game coming up. The following Sunday and then you know that was a great game and uh, w- you know as a Patriots fan where do you sit on how that last touchdown was or wasn't for the Steelers yeah I mean obviously I think that the the rule I think that the the NFL rule should be written in a way that allows Jesse James to make a touch a happy a touchdown with that catch uh, the referees got the call right completing the process like by the letter of the law that was the correct call mm-hmm. but 
you know, I, 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 I can't sit here in good conscience and say that it wasn't a wasn't a it's not, not a stupid rule. As as a team that benefited very gratefully from a, from a very stupid rule that was called correctly back in 2001, um, I know what it's like to be on the wrong end of that. Right. And so I, I think that I think they have addressed it since, and they're they're now readjusting. The good thing about the Patriots is whenever like a, a, a weird wonky rule benefits them, it magically seems to go away in the off season, and they kind of <laughs> alter things. So uh, while I Really hate the fact that the Patriots gave up uh, like a 70-yard run to – I think it was Juju. Juju uh, had that ridiculous – I'm like a crossing pattern. That should never have happened. Um, and ultimately, it's on Roethlisberger to communicate better. They were in field goal range. They could have spiked it and gotten one more play in the end zone. So the Steelers lost that game. The Patriots didn't like you know do anything to, to blow it. But that's a stupid rule, and I'm glad they changed it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – as a Bear fan, uh, we have – we were one of the first teams to really – benefit from the definition of the rule that Calvin Johnson Johnson touchdown uh, in the season opener I think in 2010 or something like that and we've also had that rule go against us a few times uh, including when uh, Zach Miller destroyed the entire lower half of his body making a touchdown catch against the Saints last year that they ruled against him after further review which it was initially a touchdown they went in and looked at it there was no conclusive evidence, I don't care what anybody says, that says yeah. he dropped the ball or that he was juggling or whatever, and somehow they reversed it upon review, and he was robbed of what was probably the last play that he'll ever make uh, in, in football. So it's, I'm glad that they've you know, redefined it or fixed it or thrown it out or whatever the hell they did with it to, to make it easier to interpret or, or, or what have you. Um, because it's you know it's gone for me and against me uh, as I'm sure it has for most teams in the league at some point. But uh, you know to finally be able to give a, a more clear definition of what a catch actually is has been something that's plagued the league for like the last six or seven years. Hundred percent, and and I think that catching the ball is such a fundamental part of this sport. Games should not be won or lost on a subjective call like that. And right. I, I think I'd like to hope that because of what we've been seeing recently with Calvin Johnson on, I'd like to see the NFL place more weight on the call as called at the time. If they were wrong, like whatever, that happens. Bad calls happen. Missed calls happen. But to be so reliant on replay. And you made the point about incontrovertible evidence. And I feel like there's been a lot of calls over the past couple of years that really could go either way. And they switched it for some really weird reason. And hopefully they can kind of address that and make sure the game goes more fast as well you know it just, yeah it seems like a weird way to go because it makes you wonder how some things would have turned out uh, apparently the des bryant catch would be a touchdown with the way that yeah. the rule is going to be interpreted now how does that alter things for you know the cowboys would have won that game against green bay instead of losing it and so on and so forth there are so many different scenarios where that would have played out you know differently had the the rule been called correctly or as it as it stands now uh and everything so it's interesting to uh to to look at and then finally, to, to wrap up the 2017 uh, season, uh, easy win over the Titans, um, you know, because they somehow – it surprised the hell out of me when they beat Kansas City. I couldn't believe that. I was looking forward yeah. to, to a rematch between the Dolph- – or the Dolphins, sorry, the Patriots and the, and the Chiefs uh, on that one. And then let's talk about this AFC Championship game because I have a theory on the AFC Championship game, and I want to know if you buy into it at all. Okay. I like it. Go. Jacksonville put their foot on the gas in the first half and had control of the game. Okay. They're they're pretty well dominating New England, as I saw it, in the first half. And then played not to lose in the second half, and that's what New England took advantage of and won the game. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think a lot of teams, especially a lot of younger teams with unproven quarterbacks as Blake Bortles is, uh, New England is one of those, you know, they're they're the giants. They're the, the bullies of the NFL. And unless you play unintimidated the way that Peterson and the Eagles did in the Super Bowl and you don't make any mistakes and you keep your foot on the gas and you start to slip up, the Patriots are always going to capitalize on that. They're always going to figure you out. They're always going to find a way to win because they're not going to make the mistakes or very rarely make the mistakes. And I think that Jacksonville kind of got away from their game plan a little bit. Their first half was brilliantly executed. A lot yeah. of high percentage passes, a lot of stretch runs, long sustained drives, um, you know, a lot of kind of quick screens and things that got Bortles very comfortable. He had a pretty decent day. He didn't get about 300 yards in a TD. He was well, nothing earth shattering, but he had a good day. Um, and then the second half, they kind of got a little cocky and got out of their comfort zone a little bit. I think they did get a little unlucky. Uh, there was that Deion Lewis fumble that might have been a, a return for a touchdown that, that got, got right. called back. Right. Um, but again, I, I think that they, they had the opportunity to win the game, but they gave Tom Brady an inch, which is about an inch more than he actually needs to win a game. And you, yeah. you just can't do that, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's that was the most frustrating thing to me because – no offense, I did not want to see the Patriots back in the freaking Super Bowl again. Understood. <laughs> I mean, it's. I'm sure you can understand that. I mean, you're, you're hearing that from more people than just me, I'm sure. Not because, you know, it's they don't deserve it, but it's just like, dude, somebody else in the Super Bowl for a change. Please, let's no, just get somebody it. else in there. And, uh, you know, and, and Jacksonville comes out and plays, you know, a, 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 a near perfect first half, you know, has their foot on the throat of the Patriots, and all they had to do was keep their foot on the gas in the second half, they I think they walk away with it, with the way that things were going in the first half at least. And, you know, that's the, all I kept saying during the actual Super Bowl was that if Jacksonville had done what Philadelphia is doing, they could have won that game. Philadelphia played, like you said, unintimidated. And, I mean, the, the, the big play that everybody talks about is the – you know, the, the touchdown, the quarterback pass or, or whatever the play was where Nick Foles is catching touchdown passes on fourth and goal. That's the perfect definition of what you need to do. If you think, if you, if you want to beat the Patriots, you have to attack them for all 60 minutes. Jacksonville took their foot off the gas for the last 30. And that's why they were watching the Super Bowl instead of playing in it. Definitely. We almost had that vaunted Blake Bortles versus Nick Foles matchup. We all predicted <laughs> at the beginning of the year. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like the Eagles, I mean, I, you know, I, I was over that game as soon as it was done. I was very happy for Philadelphia. It's a great sports town. They yeah. deserve it. And, you know, if, if, you, if you're going to lose a game because the other team decides to never punt, go forward on every fourth down, pull out every trick play they own and play an absolutely perfect game, then what can you do? Right. There, there was no there was no helmet catch. There was no Wes Welker drop. There was no ridiculous kind of, you know. Uh, Jermaine cursed bobble catch. None of that absurdity that almost cost Patriots or cost Patriots Super Bowls in the past happened. It was just one team just going balls to the wall and earning the win. And it basically came down to Nick Foles caught that pass on a fourth down. Tom Brady got overthrown on fourth down and dropped it. And that's kind of the entire game in those two plays right there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy that, uh, that uh, games that big can come down to something, you know, seemingly insignificant at the time as, as Brady not being able to come down with that pass it, it, yeah. it really wasn't a key point in the game or anything like that but the the the, the game definitely changes if he does come down with that one and uh, you know it continues to drive and and so on and so forth and who knows what happens uh kind of thing but um it was a great game uh nonetheless uh very yeah, enjoyable not a lot of defense being played in that game unfortunately but still a lot of fun to watch those teams trounce back and forth uh 
on each other. It was like watching a game of Madden. Whoever has the ball last is going to win. Yeah, I mean, you, you can you you are one hundred percent right in not wanting the Pats in the Super Bowl. But one thing you have to say is they play exciting Super Bowls. They have oh, yeah. never been in a boring game for the Patriots. Yeah, can't complain there. Absolutely not. I mean, uh, the both games of the Giants, the Seahawks Super Bowl was crazy. The the Falcons, you know, I mean, that's the thing that's been so great about the Super Bowls in like the last twenty plus years or so is like once the NFC stopped dominating the game. Because for from like Super Bowl eighteen to Super Bowl thirty two, when the when the the Broncos finally beat uh, Green Bay to snap the streak, it was like fourteen years of you know like the NFC Championship game being the Super Bowl because the AFC contender was just going to get whacked in the Super Bowl it, like year in and year out, and you know for it finally ever since the the, the Broncos won that Super Bowl thirty two. That it's more rare to see a game blow out than it is to see like the Super Bowl with the NFL ending up on top with you know the best game that can offer that year. Yeah, I mean the only exception I could think of on the top of my head was uh, Seahawks Broncos. That was an absolute blowout. Uh, right. But other than that, it's been just a lot of enjoyable games. And what's great about being a Patriots fan, there's a lot obviously, but your, your team's either in it, so you're rooting for them, or you've been in it so many times you can just relax and enjoy the game. And so it's been one of those two things. And it's been a lot of fun, good football games to, to, to watch regardless of your, of your fan allegiance. Yeah. It's all you can really ask for at that point is an enjoyable, exciting contest. And or when the team that deserves to win wins, and that usually happens in these things. Most more times than not. Absolutely. And it's, it's always nice that, uh, you know, growing up we're, we're, we're pretty close in age pretty much every year. The Super Bowl is one of the most boring games that was played that year i mean the the exception being like the giants buffalo super bowl that was a rarity as opposed to seeing the the 49ers beat the broncos 55 to 10 and it's over at halftime that happened year in and year out for the longest time that the you know like well i hope the halftime show is great now these commercials better not suck otherwise i'm not watching the second half because there's no (laughs) point yeah no it's true I mean, although as a as a young Patriots fan, I was very petty and bitter. So watching the Bills get spanked <laughs> four years in a row wasn't that bad. I bet, I bet. So uh, moving on to to 2018, I, I, we were talking briefly yeah. before we started recording. Was that uh, you know Belichick was very old school in the off season this year. You had a couple of free agent signings. You went out and get Adrian Claiborne, signed Rex Burkhead away from the the uh, the Bengals, added Jeremy Hill and Jordan Matthews. Not big signings. But it's like seemed like the biggest and most key additions that New England made this year were via trade, which is very old school as far as the NFL is concerned. Yeah, you know, Belichick has not been the splashy guy in the offseason. Usually those splashy offseason moves don't pay off for him. You know, other than Stephon Gilmore, who eventually paid off despite a shaky start, the latest big season off free agency I can think of was Adelius Thomas back in 07, and he was a disaster. Um, so, yeah, it, it's good to kind of see Belichick get back to his roots in that respect, filling up guys. I think Belichick understands better than most coaches that superstars are much fewer and farther between than good players who fit your system. And he's very good at finding talent and finding guys who will fit in the system well. I think Claiborne's a great signing. I think Danny Shelton was a great pickup for the bolster defensive line. Yeah. I'm very excited for the, the McCourty brothers in the secondary. I think the secondary is very solid right now. Um, so it's good to see kind of a, a, a old-school Belichick offseason in that respect because in a lot of other ways – it's been a, a tumultuous offseason in New England based on his various rumblings you hear. But in terms of free agency signings and the way they manipulated the draft and bringing guys in, it's been business as usual and back to normal. So that's good to see. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the departures were almost a bigger story than the guys that you brought in. Uh, Malcolm Butler and that whole mess, uh, you know, with him not playing the Super Bowl at all. 
you know, signing with uh, with Tennessee, so he'll actually be in conference uh, with you guys. Deion Lewis also signs with Tennessee. Danny Amendola stays in division with the Dolphins, and then yeah. Nate, Nate Solder goes to the enemy and, and and signs a big deal with the Giants. Yeah, I mean, Danny Amendola, like you got to give him. He needs this is probably his last contract. He's in his, you know, early thirties, which is toward the end of your career in the NFL. He's given us probably the most clutch playoff receiver we've ever had in New England. And you gotta just tip your cap and let him go on his way and get his big payday. He deserves it. Nate Solder got an obscene amount of money for yes, a left tackle. He did. Um he's a good left tackle. He's not that good a left tackle, I think, to get that kind of money. So God bless him again. Best to him and his family getting that kind of money. Uh Deion Lewis, I'm gonna miss him a lot. He was a lot of fun to watch. But the Patriots, they don't pay running backs. They they don't they know it's no. a very replaceable position. You can get a lot of guys to do the job of one guy unless you have like an all world talent like Adrian Peterson, you don't need to give money to running back. So they drafted Sony Michelle um, in, in the first round, so they can replace him with that. And they brought in Jeremy Hill and Rex Burkett, and they have James White still. So the guys they lost were, I guess, were, were, were team guys. They were name guys. They were favorites of a lot of fans. But the way the system operates and the way the roster operates, they're going to be able to step guys in there and have no problems. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people, or I mean running backs in general, would probably blame Belichick and the Patriots for the for the plight of running backs as far as guys trying to get paid these yeah. days in the NFL because you know in all the success that the Patriots have had uh you know being in like the worst that you're going to do most years is make it to the AFC championship game and you know you've played in you know a, a ton of Super Bowls and and everything you've never really gone to the Super Bowl with the same guy running the football twice you know it's true. I mean you, you you went with Corey Dillon, you 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 know you took uh you know Blunt and he got to go twice or you know it's just like it's just like this rotating like you know, it was James White that was the star of Super Bowl thirty or fifty one fifty one against the yeah the the the, the Falcons and, and everything but it always just seems to be a different guy that's back there um you know and it just seems like you know he knows that he can find a running back that can do what he needs them to do whether it be a situational thing like oh like the like Jonas was it Jonas Gray or whatever scored four touchdowns yeah. from the against the Colts, the Colts one night yeah. and then you never heard from him again like sure. hey that was the you know that was the game you were awesome against them here's your check we'll see you later we're going to move <laughs> on with this guy you know because they'll be better for us going forward against these teams uh and things so i mean it's just amazing to see the way that he's had had this revolving door of running backs and still be able to have one of the more effective offenses in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that Belichick has been one of the on the forefront of kind of bringing the third down back into the spotlight with Kevin Falk in the early 2000s, where yeah. they had a guy who's a he's a good blocker, great in blitz pickup, he's a good root runner, he's got good hands, and so if you have a good third down back, that means your 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 bell cow workhorse running backs only on the field for the first two downs and so it becomes a lot less valuable and then he also realized that you know running backs they wear down as the season goes on so if you're running the guy into the ground in september and october the legs aren't as fresh and so if you can keep rotating guys in and out um this is much more effective for for a long-term strategy and as the league has become much more of a passing league i think that the rules have changed significantly to make it much harder to play defense which means it makes more sense to pass the ball a lot more because of fantasy and exciting points and getting ratings, all that crap. So I think that also didn't really help running backs plight that well. But, um, you know, Belichick, he's usually two steps ahead of everybody else. And I think with the running backs, that definitely shines through. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, he probably, like Le'Veon Bell, probably has Belichick and the Patriots' success to thank for the fact that he can't get the money he wants from uh, from Pittsburgh. I mean, it used to be that running backs were one of the more higher-paid players uh in football right now and now it's quarterbacks and wide receivers that are making all the money 
Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's because people are realizing that, A, not only are running backs highly expendable, but the sad truth of any professional sport, but especially football, is you are basically one knee injury away from never playing again. Yeah. And if you're in a position like offensive tackle or defensive tackle or running back where you're taking a lot of contact every single snap, you know, you want to make sure you're, from a business standpoint, protect your investment and not blow a lot of money on one guy who's going to be a, a potential injury risk and a liability. So, I mean, it's it wasn't, uh, I mean, aside from the, the drama of, you know, Brady won't tell us whether he's not retiring and we might be trading Gronk drama that was going throughout the offseason was pretty uneventful. Uh, we get to the draft and somehow, and this is why I think Belichick is a genius, somehow you guys always have two first-round picks, two second-rounders, you got three third-rounders to mess around with and, and things like you're constantly moving up and down uh, the draft board. And, you know, somehow Belichick managed to get a first-round pick back for Brandon Cooks when he sent him yeah. to the Rams. So you got two first-round picks going into this draft, and you used them well. Uh, Isaiah Wynn, an offensive lineman from Georgia, is he going to be a guard or a tackle for you guys? No, it's funny. He's listed as a guard. Uh, Belichick tends to like his tackles very, very large. Nate Solder is 6'6", 6'7". Uh, Sebastian Vollmer, if you remember him, he was a big dude as well. That was the, kind of the bookend tackles. Marcus Cannon, 6'3", 6'4". I think right now we've got uh, Isaiah Wynn listed as a as a guard, but I think he'll end up playing the tackle because they have Joe Tooney, who they drafted a couple years back, who's mm-hmm. pretty solid uh, left guard. And then they have Shaq Mason, who's their right guard. So I think their guard's pretty set. So I can see um, uh, Wynn playing tackle, if I had to guess. And then you double down on, on Georgia guys in the first round and take Sony Michelle, uh, a running back, who will probably be the highest paid running back on the team uh, because <laughs> of his rookie contract. But he comes in, uh, you know, to, to, to be a plug and play guy in, 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 that, in that offense. Yeah, again, this is one of the problem of being a, uh, an analyst for the Patriots, especially around draft time, is just you're always so wrong. And whatever you predict, Belichick's going to do. Nobody, the running back position was really crowded prior to Michelle coming onto the team. They had Brandon Bolden and Jeremy Hill and uh, Mike Gillisley and and Rex Burkhead and James White. They did so many guys on the roster. It was not an area of need. But I guess Belichick saw something in the kid. Obviously, he's a he's a very good running back. He's a he's a you know four down player. He can block. He's got good hands. Uh, I, I just I just didn't really see the move coming. But I think the fact that there's two Georgia guys, they were roommates at college, I believe. They train well together. Uh, if your offensive lineman and your running back are already getting along well, especially in a position like running back, which is very easy. I think probably of all the positions in football, it's easiest to transition from college to to pro as a running back. Sure. So I think that I think that's a pretty good uh, good combination. The question is how much time will he see. Because we just talked about it, like running backs under Bill Belichick don't get a lot of carries. So I'm curious to see one of the, my most uh, anticipated cu- training camp battles is going to be running back this year. I mean, what kind of a pass catcher is he, though? I mean, because I think that would be that would determine how much time he's actually going to be on the field. If if, uh, if they can throw some swing passes out to him, then he, he might see more 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 snaps than anybody else. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, he. Uh, I think in 2017, he only he didn't. The Georgia offense wasn't a, a, a kind of passing back team. I think he had about nine or ten catches for uh, for 96 yards. So it's not like he was a, a major factor in the in the passing game. 
Um, but you know, he's very durable. He plays all plays all eight, 14 games, whatever he has to do. And I don't think he'll be asked to do a lot of that, but I think if he can show proficiency as a passing threat, I think one of the problems with the Garrett Blunt was, um, he was a pure between the tackles runner. He was not a, a, a guy to, you know, you're not going to send him out on a wheel route. You're not going to send him on a crosser over the middle. And the Patriots really val- uh, value that versatility in their running backs. Uh, so Michelle can kind of pick that up and, and be the guy that can on first and 10 on a play action, little out route, pick up eight yards, that kind of play like that will make him invaluable to this team. And then you got uh, Duke Dawson, a corner out of Florida in the second round. Then your pick, uh, the second second round pick you gave to us um, yeah. in return for our second round pick in 2019, which I was not thrilled about. But, you know, we got a wide receiver and Anthony Miller out of the deal. So we'll see how that works out for us. But um, after that, you guys disappear until yeah. about fifth midway, round. until the fifth round. And then yeah. you got you got one fifth rounder, two sixth rounders, and three seventh round picks, including a quarterback out of LSU. Anybody amongst that group that you think might actually end up being players for you guys? You know, I, I will say this not based on the this kid's talent or ability, Warren, just the way Belichick does it. Uh, Braxton Berrios, the wide receiver out of Miami, mm-hmm. there's just something about late round, short, white receivers that Belichick <laughs> just hits on. Every single time you got the Wes Welkers, the Julian Edelman's like Danny Woodhead back. Like he just finds these kind of short little white dudes that are really elusive and do really well. And with Edelman potentially being out for four games um, now with the the PED thing that's going on, there's a chance for him to kind of sneak onto the roster and maybe get a practice squad spot. There's always every training camp, every preseason, there's one player that kind of stands out and and earns the back to the team that no one saw coming. So just based on history and how Bill Belichick kind of develops these kind of late round receivers into into real weapons, uh, look out for Braxton Berrios. (laughs) Interesting. Um, And, um, you know, that pretty much does it for the the draft. You guys had your top three picks and then a bunch of you know, late uh, day three guys, and uh, later on in, in the uh, in the draft, you talked about Braxton Berrios, and uh, P- where where did you think? Because when every when when the Patriots got that second first round pick, everybody automatically assumed that it meant that Belichick was going to use those picks to move up in the first round and maybe get Brady's successor. Yeah, you know? I mean, I've heard I've heard from credible sources that the, before the draft, back when, as you mentioned, how like Brady was kind of wishy-washy returning and Gronkowski was kind of wishy-washy, I've heard from multiple sources that they were looking to shop Gronkowski around, around along with one of those first-round picks to move up for um, – for Baker Mayfield. I've heard that from multiple sources. Wow. I'm not sure if there's any validity to that. I don't be like the guy that said this is definitely the case. But, you know, a lot of people thought that Garoppolo was going to be the guy, and he probably should have been the guy. I think the, mm. the tragedy of it was that he was just drafted two years too early, and that's just the way it is. And, and Tom Brady played so goddamn well last season, you couldn't think about trading him. And so, you know, Brady's got – if I had to be optimistic, I'd say he's got maybe two or three years left in him. I know his contract's through 2020, so he's under contract for th- two or three more years. Uh, at that point, who knows? He's going to suck eventually, right? I mean, t- like logic dictates at some point in his life he's going to stop being good at football. And I don't want Brian Hoyer and Danny Etling to be the guys to succeed him. So maybe – Next year's draft, maybe with that second-round pick we got from Chicago, we'll pick a quarterback out of that draft. I haven't really done much research yet on that because we're still in the, the promo this year. But, yeah, it's got to have to happen eventually because, you know, the Brady era is coming to a close. Well, the other thing that, no, that, the, that Belichick's been notorious for um, late, or, you know, throughout his career, especially with the Patriots anyway, is being that guy that is not afraid to say goodbye a year earlier than people might have pulled the trigger 
on. And do you think Brady might actually fall victim to that, or is he going to ride Brady into the ground? That's funny. I had a I have a kind of crackpot theory that I shopped around to my fellow Patriots fans that Belichick actually was thinking about trading Brady last season, midseason. Uh, but again, he just played so well and played such a high level that he couldn't justify doing that, which led to the whole Garoppolo trade to the 49ers, the second round pick earlier uh, earlier in the year. Um, there's people saying Belichick and Brady are going to retire together. I don't know if I buy that either. A, because I don't know what Belichick would do when he retires. He doesn't really do anything besides football. And I, 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 it's, it's tough because Brady's the kind of player, just the way he, he manipulates the pocket, the way he sees defenses, the way he takes care of his body. It's not a ridiculous statement to believe he could play till he's 45. That's what he's always said. Uh, will it be with New England? I don't know. But I feel like just the way he kind of handles himself and conducts himself doesn't take that many hits, doesn't get that many injuries. He's really meticulous about his diet, his regimen, and his training. He could play till he's 45. And if that's the case, um, I don't know. That's always that's like the perennial debate. It's like, is Brady the one player who's Belichick-proof? And if history taught anything – nobody's Belichick proof. Just ask Lawyer Malloy and yeah. Logan Mankins and Randy Moss and, and Richard Seymour. You can go down the line, Ty Law, you go down the line with these irreplaceable guys that Belichick has moved. Um, but it's just it's just really hard to envision a Tom Brady-less Patriots team. Yeah, because there are some pretty, like you just ran down a list of pretty impressive names, and these are people that, that Belichick parted with at times when people were like, really? He let yeah. Richard Seymour, he traded him to the Raiders. Does he hate him? When yeah. the Raiders are like one of the worst teams in football, he trades him to Oakland. And uh, same thing with, with Randy Moss. He sent him off to, to Minnesota. And, uh, you know, with, with like you said, with Laura Malloy, the guy was just one of the key contributors to winning you a Super Bowl. You're going to shove him off? You're going to just cut him? Just yeah. let him I mean, go? Uh, his, his best linebacker was Jamie Collins. Gave him to Cleveland for like a conditional third-round pick. And I, yeah. I feel like there's I feel like there's also like there's two kinds of, of Belichick moves. It's like if you are a a good guy, you're on good terms, you work hard for Belichick the way that Jimmy Garoppolo did and like Matt Castle did, or Mike Vrabel, he'll set you up with like a, a off the Belichick tree, a Scott Pioli guy of you know who, Matt Castle went to Kansas City and Garoppolo set up with John Lynch in San Francisco. But if you're kind of a malcontent and you're whining about your contract. You're going to Cleveland. You're going to Tampa. He's going to send a message to the rest of the team that if you you don't fl- straighten up and fly right, I'm, sh- I'm shipping you off to freaking you know like a two and fourteen you know Texans team, and you're going to suck at it. So yeah. uh, I think it's kind of part of not only getting the maximum out of his, the roster he has, but sending a message to his guys as well that he runs a tight ship there, and you got to kind of buy in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just it's some of those moves you see. It's like cutthroat. It's like, yeah, he gave away Lincoln Makins for nothing. He, yeah, he, you know, like you said, a conditional third round pick for for what many would consider to be one of the better outside linebackers in football. And uh, you know, it's like, oh well, you, you know, here we go from being uh, you know undefeated or like eight and one at the time to a team that was won one football game in the last two years, and that's not a yeah. joke. And there you yeah. go, and you know. <laughs> You're going to go out there and you're going to get paid, but you're going to hate every second of it because you're going to be a Cleveland Brown and not a New England Patriot. Uh, and enjoy that paycheck because you're going to need it out yeah. there. Um, and, it's, and, and no, nobody's heard from Jamie Collins since. Like no one. Yeah, people, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's remarkable. I mean it's he's very cutthroat, and you know, like you said, guys, Logan and that fan favorites too. Richard Seymour, yeah. Logan Mankins, Lawyer Malloy, uh, Ty Law. Um, he let Vince Wilfork walk in free agency and, and yeah. things like that. I mean, these are guys that are all-time Patriots. Willie McGinnis had to go to Cleveland to play, right. play out his last uh, couple of years. I mean, it's just the list goes on and on and on that, that Belichick has moved on from and, uh, you know, still managed to find himself at the, at the top of the list every single 
uh, every single year. So, I mean, it's it's amazing that uh, the guy has the foresight to be able to part with these people when he does. And he, he never really seems to treat it like the gut-wrenching decision that it is for the fan base when it's like, Jesus Christ, we just let Richard Seymour go? What the hell is he doing? You know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, but the guy we put in there, he's going to play just fine and we're going to be okay and, and turns out just fine. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, we we you, we're absolutely on the same page here, and in the the Boston media especially, despite this track record of being just fine, moving guys before they expire, getting good value in return, or setting guys up for a positive career elsewhere, every one of these moves is some arrogant, ridiculous decision where he made a huge mistake and it's an absolute disaster, and that narrative keeps playing itself out over and over again. It's almost like they have these these articles are already pre-written. They just swap out one name for another, right? And then they, they, but you know, it's just part of doing business. If you're a Patriots fan. You know, Belichick does not care about what you have to say, what I have to say, what the media has to say. He's doing what's best for the team, and the track record speaks for itself. Yeah, and as long as Bob Kraft is with him, he doesn't really need anybody else's approval. Nope, that's right. So, um, one last thing before we get to the schedule and wrap it up, um, how are you feeling about the whole Josh McDaniels thing? <laughs> You know, I was like, I, I, you, you, you guys, he was out the door. He's hiring a coaching staff. He's 24 hours away from being officially announced as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He sits down for a meeting with Belichick and Kraft. The next thing you know, he reneges on his deal with the, the Colts. And now he's staying with the New England Patriots as the offensive coordinator. Um, what was going through your guys' mind? I mean, were you happy that he's not, that he's staying, you know, or anything like that? I mean, what's, what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, I actually wrote an article about this for Pat's Pulpit. Uh, from a just a, a personal standpoint, uh, that didn't really sit that well with me. I've, I've just been, I'm the kind of guy where if I shake your hand on something, that's that that's a, a binding agreement in my opinion. Sure. If if you, if you make that that promise, you make the commitment, you start hiring a staff, you start bringing guys in. Uh, but this is also from an outsider looking in. I start to wonder if maybe McDaniel's was sold a bill of goods with maybe Andrew Luck's health. Or the level of autonomy he would have as a head coach and a GM in terms of like personnel decisions, yeah. how much independence he'd be allowed. So there might have been a scenario where he, you know, he got everything in place, but then kind of facts started to come to light, or things that were were promised to him before he signed kind of became untruths, and maybe Lux way more hurting to let on, or whatever the case may be. And I also know that uh, Bob Kraft sat him down and and basically made him an offer he couldn't refuse, which leads me to believe that he is basically going to be there in New England until Belichick retires, whenever that is, and he'll be taking over the team from there. And they basically promised him that that succession. So from a personal standpoint, uh, it, it's kind of a shady move because I, I believe in making a promise and keeping it as a person. Um, but that's without the knowledge of, of anything going on behind closed doors. Uh, as a Patriots fan, I think him and Brady get along really well. He's a very good offensive coordinator. I'm very excited to see what he can do with the new crop of talent that comes in, especially with Sony Michelle and Corey Del Patterson, a very underrated signing in my opinion. Um, so I'm really happy to, to have him back. But if you're a Colts fan, uh, I know you have that October 4th, I think it's a Thursday night game, yeah. uh, circled in, in, in blood. And you're going to hang a <laughs> banner up from the, the rafters of RCA Stadium saying, you know, Colts versus Patriots, because that's what they do. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'll tell you what, I, I, for, for McDaniel's sake, I hope that he was promised to be the successor 
of New England because there's 31 jobs he'll never get ever again because he set every bridge in the league ablaze when yeah. he turned his back on Indianapolis and and uh, in the in the way that it was you know just the fact that it was basically a done deal sources confirmed blah 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 he's coming to Indianapolis to sign his contract and and do the press conference and then it's like oh wait nope I'm staying in New England I'm going to be the OC I got a nice raise and you know I'm going to stick with Tom Brady and and New England and it was just like okay dude uh, I hope you yeah. know what you're doing uh, because you just basically turn your back on 31 other jobs in the league right now, or at least you know for the next five years, it's it's uh, you know a lot of teams have long memories and are going to remember something like this. No, it's true. You know, a part of me wants to disagree with you and say you know NFL coaches are so fickle and you get fired so quickly. If you you have two losing seasons, they're always looking for people who get on their shot. But uh, you make really good points. You know, why would you if you're an owner of a team? look to Josh McDaniels knowing what he did to Indianapolis and with any real veracity kind of bring him in because basically, you know, Indianapolis got so screwed by that because, you know, all the other coaching candidates had been interviewed and hired elsewhere at that point. So what do you, what do you possibly do? So uh, again, I, I think he is a successor. I think he is the guy going forward in new England, but you know, I hope that they got something written down because I just don't know when Belichick's going to retire and how much longer is he willing to sit there as number two guy if Belichick is playing is going to be coaching for another five ten years who knows with that guy you know yeah I mean it's um it's uh you know when, when you look at it that way it makes you wonder what what he was thinking you know yeah. to to be able to to pull the trigger on on walking away from Indianapolis and and everything I mean it's not like New England wouldn't take him back it already happened once so sure. you know things go sideways in Indianapolis and like you said he sold a bill of goods and Andrew Luck isn't what they said he was going to be so maybe after a year or two he resigns goes back to New England and starts winning Super Bowls again for the Patriots that would be better than what happened in a lot of people's opinion as far as his uh his you know job potential in the league going forward yeah. Again, not a good look, but again, there could have been a whole lot going on behind closed doors. Oh, absolutely. Doors. We, yeah, we just I don't mean, know about. Um, so who knows? But based on what we know, the information we have available to us, if you're like a, a person of, of kind of any kind of moral standing, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. It does. Um, you know, but what I also like, I mean, one thing as Patriots fans, we've definitely with both arms embraced the role of the villain, like the heel. We love it. <laughs> we love being the bad guy in the league. We love being the evil empire, Darth Vader and the emperor. And this is a great little, little feather. And it's like a, such a great wrestling heel move. You sure. Know, like you sign sure. with the good guys and you, you hit a chair, hit him in the back of the head with a chair and you go back to the, like, so that's a, that's like an extra nice little like wrinkle for the, the, the ultimate reality show that is pro sports. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it kind of reminds me, you just would bring up that heel thing. There was a feud back in 2001 or so between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H. And they had this contract signing that they were going to do that if the contract was, if you touch the other guy, you're suspended for six months, no pay, that's <laughs> it. Okay? So Triple H and Steve Austin sit down at this table. They sign the contracts. And immediately Triple H takes a briefcase and breaks it over Austin's head. And Ms. McMahon, who was there, starts freaking out. You just got suspended for six months, pal. He's like, actually, no, I haven't signed the contract yet. And takes the blood off of Austin's head, signs the contract. There you go. That's Josh McDaniels breaking the briefcase over Indianapolis' head and signing awesome. his contract with the New England Patriots. Yeah. If you want to talk heel moves, that's what that <laughs> reminded me of. Yeah. Right that's great. There. That's great. I love that. It's a great heel. And again, like, you know, if, if, if you're the Patriots fans, you, you embrace it. And it's not like the world needs more reasons to hate the Patriots, but he <laughs> People, people love to hate the Patriots. 
Sure, so sure. The world is a better place when the Patriots are winning games, doing these things, because like the only thing more enjoyable than rooting for your team is hating the Patriots. And people <laughs> get so happy when bad things happen in New England. It's like a nice little way to keep yourself relevant if your team's out of it. Yeah, I'm not like I've I said on on my last episode. I'm probably just going to have to go ahead and come out as a Patriot hater. But it's not so much that I that I that I want bad things to happen to the Patriots. I'm just sick of them winning all the time. You know, <laughs> I would like to see somebody else have a chance. That's my thing with New England is that they just keep I'd hate them for winning. I yeah. you know, the whole thing with with uh Deflate Gate and you know, the the whole drama with Brady and and you know, maybe he's retiring, maybe they're trading Gronk. None of that stuff interests me. None of that stuff makes me happy like, "Oh, maybe the Patriots are falling apart." No. I want to see somebody straight up beat the Patriots and be their successor and take things over in the AFC. So it's somebody else. It's going to happen eventually. It so is. I mean, but I've been waiting for it to happen for the last 15 years and it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. So it's like I want somebody else to have a turn uh, as opposed to like, you know, I don't want anything good to happen to New England. I was like, I just don't want them to win the Super Bowl anymore. I want, or at least not for a few years. Like, we had a nice 10-year drought where the Patriots didn't win a Super Bowl, and then they've been in every Super Bowl since then kind of thing. So that's more where about more my Patriot, quote-unquote, hatred comes from, is that in, in as a football fan, it's boring to see the same team in it every single year. Kind of like, you know, the 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 NBA. It's been Cavs and Warriors for the last four years. That is mind-numbingly boring to see the same two teams in it every single year. No, I'm with you. And again, like everybody who hates the Patriots, as long as as long as you're willing to call a spade a spade <laughs> and, and and admit the bulk of your Patriots hate, no matter what level it's at, stems from the fact that they win all the time. Then that that's fine, and that's, yeah. again, that's part that's part of sports. It's part of being a fan. I'm a Red Sox fan. I hate the Yankees. It's just it's an enjoyable sports narrative. Yeah. The only thing that that makes me mad about Patriots haters are those that try and take some kind of moral high ground and act like the Patriots like <laughs> insulted their like their sense of like decency yeah. because they may have possibly been generally aware that there were like footballs inflated. Meanwhile, we're all sitting here watching rapists and murderers and wife beaters and child abusers yeah. like give each other CTE every single week, and we all that that's no problem. Yeah. But God forbid you may possibly deflate footballs. It's just a really weird dichotomy. But like, yeah, hate the Patriots all you want. It's fun. I like hitting people. It's good. Right. But as the, the one of the greatest heels in the history of wrestling used to say, Bobby Heenan, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Amen so, to that, man. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, the, I mean, it's just like, you know, okay, big deal. They, they were filming other teams' practices, the, the whole Spygate thing, the deflated footballs. I'm not really seeing where the advantage is there. I just I think that uh, that was what you and I talked about the last time we did talk about was, was yeah was like, dude, Brady should just, just give up and give it get it behind him. It's like, I understand why Brady's fighting. If he's, if he's innocent, you should fight until the death. But eventually, it's just you're beating a dead horse, man. Just take the suspension, get it over with, let the team move on uh, kind of thing. So, But yeah, it's like, yeah, none of that stuff interests me. I'm all about what happens between the lines on Sundays if Patriots are, you know, that they keep winning or if somebody finally comes around and, and beats them. And God damn it, they keep winning, and that's why I hate them, not because of Understood. anything else. So yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, speaking of my future hatred, we play the Bears. Uh, you guys play the Bears in, in 2018 this year. Uh, you're actually part of the – we play the entire division back-to-back this year. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like we, we have our uh, – we have an early bye week, week five, and then week six I think we have Miami – then we play you guys, and yep. then the Jets and 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 uh, who's left? Buffalo, you know, just back to back to back to back. So you're right in the middle of of, of a four game AFC East block for the Bears. But for you guys, 
um, starting at home against the Texans, which is going to be interesting because what Texans team is going to show up this year? Because they were yeah. murdered by injuries last right. year. Watson went down. JJ, you know, JJ Watt goes down only three games into the season. All of those guys are coming back and seemingly healthy. You know, will they be able to pull a fast one on New England like Kansas City did last year, or will they reflect that these guys haven't played football in a while when you knock them all over the uh, stadium? Yeah, you know, it's funny. You know, I mean, you look at the first probably up until the week seven game against the Bears, the first six weeks of the Patriots schedule are all massive question marks. You said which Texas team are going to show up. Mm-hmm. And then week two, they're at Jacksonville. And I'm yep. still not exactly sure who the Jags are based on last season. Right. They kind of came on hot toward the end. Uh, then they're at the Detroit Lions, led by Matt Patricia, a former defensive coordinator for the Patriots. Right. Uh, I'm not sure what the Lions are going to bring with Matthew Stafford and company. That's going to be an interesting game. Uh, then they're home against the Dolphins with Ryan Tannehill back off the ACL injury. That's a whole new team. Then you've got that Thursday night game against the Colts, which they have circled. Andrew Lucky's throwing footballs as of this conversation, but who knows what his what his status is going to be. And you know they're going to be really furious about that game. And then it's a game against the Chiefs on another primetime game, and the Chiefs have owned the Patriots recently. Um, so uh, as of you know this talk, we're sitting here. It's you know it's 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 June, but I just don't know anything on what to make of the first six weeks of the season for New England because none of these teams are are going to be consistent what we saw last year. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's um, what 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 kind of team is is Detroit going to be? Because you're bringing in a defensive-minded guy to an a team that's been offensively dominated for years. Even in their in their playoff years, that that's been the tale of the tape for them is that they failed on defense and they've had to score forty something points a game because their defense is always going to give up thirty. And the trick is, if you can slow them down on offense, the def- the off- your offense is going to be fine and put up the points that it needs to win. And, you know, it's, it's just about stopping that offense. You stop them, you stop the Lions, you get a victory. Will Patricia coming in as a defensive-minded guy, will he be able to reverse that trend finally and even out the team some? Yeah, again, I, I just don't know. You know, I mean, I he's he's been a great defensive coordinator for the Patriots. You know, he had some some hiccups last year, especially. Um, but I think he's got a good core, a, a good young team. I think he's ready to be a head coach. Uh, there's always that kind of, you know, mentor versus mentee clash showdown thing. You saw it with McDaniels in Denver back in 09. He beat the Patriots uh, in Denver. Uh, it was a big deal. So you, you just never know with these with these these, these showdowns. And, um, you know, that Detroit, that the Lions Stadium is where Edelman blew his ACL out in, mm. in the preseason. So yeah. that's something else to kind of think about. Yeah. And then you got the Dolphins and you know when I talked to uh, Kevin Noggle from Finsiders about the Dolphins of uh, last week it's uh, you know they cut loose a lot of guys but it just seemed like Adam Gase is finally putting his stamp like putting building the team in his mold bringing in his guys you know getting rid of character guys like Jarvis Landry and like you know he was more of a locker room problem than he was a talent on the field so we're going to move on from him and Dominican Sue is gone and so on and T- Ryan Tannehill is back they were kind of you know kind of a man um, with without a country last year when Tannehill went down they brought in Cutler he was good one day he was bad the next which is very Jay Cutler of him and then <laughs> You know, it's just one of those things where it was supposed to be a promising year for the Dolphins coming off a playoff season, and then it, it just it just wasn't last year. Six and ten, and you know, and all the rest of that. The the wheels fell off on them. You know, who will they be this year? Yeah. And and what will be a very big year for Adam Gase and his future as the head coach of the team? And then the Colts. Any it's anyone's guess there what's going to happen. I mean, how much is a healthy Andrew Luck going to help improve this team that had a million and ten holes 
going into it uh, in in the off season uh, and everything. And then you have the Chiefs, and you know, will they be the team that started off five and zero or the team that finished five and six last year? You know, it's a it's a wonder. You know, which one is going to show up? And then my guys, the Bears. How much will that team be hitting on all cylinders with the new offensive guys that they brought in? We got an offensive-minded head coach who's going to put an offense that's more catered to this actual century as opposed to what Fox and Loggins were trying to do last year. How well will that be working? Will it work well enough for it to make a difference this season uh, and everything? Will Trubisky make the leap in year two that um, uh, Wentz and Goff did in for, for Philadelphia and L.A.? Uh, last year, because that's the mold that the Bears are trying to follow as the as the Rams bring in the young guy, get in year two for that quarterback, put some weapons around him, see what happens, uh, kind of thing. Will the you know what will the Bears be looking like week seven? And then you got Buffalo on Monday night, and then at or at Buffalo Monday night, home for Green Bay uh, before you finally uh, we got we got a week eleven by this yeah. year. What are you guys Late feeling about that later by this year? I love the late buy. We had a we had a week four buy a couple of years ago. I think we're a week eight or I think week nine is probably the sweetest place to have the buy. But yeah. I think I think the length of week eleven buy is great, um, especially because coming off the week eleven buy, uh, I think the the schedule kind of softens up a little bit. I'm still not sold in the Vikings. I think the Vikings just caught lightning in the bottle last year. You and me both, um, man. Uh, I I don't know what happened, but they like Case Keenum is not. Uh, an NFL quarterback. I, I just don't think he is. Call me crazy, but I don't. I don't see it. Um, and at that point, I think they'll. You know, it'll be. It'll be a lot more um, AFC East. Most of the AFC East is, is, not, is after that, with the exception of that at Pittsburgh game. The real big concern for me, if I'm a Patriots fan, is December 9th and the 16th, weeks 5th, 14 and 15. At Miami is always a very tough place to play, and at Pittsburgh is another tough place to play. The Patriots probably should have lost at Pittsburgh last season. And if not for that kind of ridiculous rule and that, that that's fake spike interception. Um, and you don't want to have back-to-back losses week 14, 15. If you're the Patriots, you're jostling for a first-round bye during those that, that home stretch in December. So um, that's a very tough stretch. But other than the at Dolphins, at Steelers, I kind of like the way the, the last fourth of the season shakes out for New England. Yeah, you got two games against the Jets. You got the Dolphins and the Bills. You got the whole – you got four four division games in those last six. So yeah. It's, and the uh, good thing is, it's also uh, it's, if the Patriots take care of business and and do what they have to do and get the number one seed, they'll be at home from week sixteen all the way to Super Bowl. So that'll be a nice kind of the two game home stretch to yeah. close the season out is a nice way to to end things. So I mean, uh, you know, w- when you looked at the schedule, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous to talk wins and losses in April when the sure. schedule comes out. But you sit there and you look at it and you're like, okay, we'll take a win here. We got maybe maybe. Yeah, maybe Jacksonville. I don't know, but we'll see. And, you know, so on and so forth. Do you have a number uh, for this year? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're a Patriots fan, you can always just say 12 and four and you're probably going to be right. Um, But I'm not going to be I'm not going to be safe uh, this year. I think they have a little bit of a down year this year and go 11 and five this year. Hmm. Um, I think they'll 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 split with the Dolphins. They'll probably lose at Miami. Um, They will probably drop to there's always one game they lose for no reason. Uh, It. I think I think they might that game might be at at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I think they, they might they might lose the, at the Titans this year. Um, I can see them losing to uh, to, to Jacksonville, and then maybe they have uh, home field advantage by the time all locked up, and they lose to the Jets at home because that's just a, a throwaway game for them. They sit everybody, and then then the Chiefs. You just never know with the Chiefs. 
Uh, Alex Smith's gone this year, so he's not going to be that that those those twenty four play thirty six yard nine minute drives. He's so good at running. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Patrick Mahomes, I think he's a good quarterback. I think they have a good team, and the Chiefs kind of have the Patriots number. So that that's probably if they're going to lose five games, those are my five. Yeah, that's uh, that's another thing that the Bears are fall victim to this year is the. I mean, not that you guys haven't stomped a hole in our ass the last few times that we played you guys, but the team that always seems to have the Bears number, regardless of what the records tend to be, is the Dolphins. Mm. Uh, you know, they ruined our perfect record in '85, in '06 when we went back to the Super Bowl. Uh, we were six or seven and zero when the Dolphins are were one and six or something like that. Just came and stomped a mud hole in Chicago's ass in Soldier Field. <laughs> we were five and we're we were undefeated when they beat us, and it just happened again for the Dolphins to do that. And uh, you know, um, twenty fourteen, the last time that we played the AFC East, they come to Chicago again and beat the Bears in such a way that number one, which almost very very rarely happens in Chicago, the Bears were booed off the field as wow. they left and. That it was clear that under Tressman, the inmates were running the asylum because the, the 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 press corps is standing outside the locker room waiting to be let in to talk to the players after the game, and what all they can hear from inside the locker room is screaming back and forth amongst the players who basically snapped on each other after embarrassing loss to to Miami. It's like those are the things that happened to Chicago when we played the Dolphins. So I'm not looking forward to playing the Dolphins uh, this year. So they'll snap any kind of momentum that we have going forward. So that's the one game I'm kind of afraid of uh, this year as far as what could happen uh, versus what could happen against anybody else. Kind of thing. So what do you what do you think in terms of uh, as a Bears fan? What's like your 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 most optimistic prediction and your most pessimistic prediction in terms of like a floor and ceiling for the Bears in 2018? Well, that's a good question. Um, I would say without talking about schedules and wins and losses as far as like who they beat and who they lose to. Yeah, I, I would think that not making an improvement on on five and eleven, which is what we were this past season, would be. I mean, obviously we can be worse than that, but I just don't see it. Um, I think that we could get five, six wins. That would be a worst-case scenario. Best-case scenario is that we are the Rams of this year, and not, not maybe not so much winning the division, but getting a playoff, you know, 10 wins, 9, 10 wins gets us into the playoffs, and maybe we make an early exit like L.A. did against Atlanta in the first round there. But uh, I think that's, that's best-case, is that we can make the playoffs. I still think we're maybe a year or two away from being the Patriots, and, yeah. you know, because, I mean, I think Ryan Pace has done a great job setting the Bears up for long-term success. But, you know, he's not hasn't done that great. That's what's, that's what's shaky about the Bears this year is that Pace's track record in his short time as GM for the Bears has not been great with free agency. But he has knocked it out of the park just about every year with the draft. So, nice. I mean, he, he's, he's like setting us up for, with, you know, building this foundation for long-term success with the young guys that he's drafted and brought in and everything. It's just he's been more missed than hit on free agents, and that's what's really hurt the Bears over the years. And then the real wild card for the Bears, which has killed them since John Fox took over, is health. Hmm. We've had, I think we lead the league in, in, in injured reserve since John Fox took over. Uh, as head coach, I mean, 16 guys one year, 21 the year after that. It's in the high teens every single year that we're losing guys, and we're losing them early too. So I mean, if the Bears can stay healthy, sky's the limit. Because you know, there's been a lot of what ifs as far as the John Fox tenure in Chicago, because we're constantly throwing guys on the field that don't deserve to be there. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Okay, it's cool. Again, I, and you are you are Team Trubisky. You think he's legit? 
100% honesty, I absolutely hated the pick when we made it. And it had absolutely nothing to do with him because if we had to get a quarterback, he, believe it or not, was the one I wanted. I yeah. did not believe at all in Deshaun Watson being an NFL quarterback. You know, those scrambling pocket guys, they don't have long careers. I just, right. you know, I mean, he damn near proved it in his first year. He blew out his knee. He did it in practice, for Christ's sake. Right. But um, I hated the move, not so much to do with Trubisky, but the fact that we drafted a quarterback and we had nothing to support him with. Aside from... Uh, and it turned out just the way I thought it would. We had no wide receiving targets to to begin with, and then we lost the best two of one of the worst wide receiving cores in, in football when Kevin White went down again and Cameron Meredith blew, down, blew out his knee in preseason. Then we're left with guys that would be fives and sixes on other teams to be our ones and twos. And Jordan Howard, God bless him, 1,300 yards as a rookie, somehow still managed to crack 1,000 yards against eight and nine-man fronts last year but he was running into a brick wall of humanity all season long and we we weren't throwing the football they didn't trust them to do it or whatever the case was and you know that's why i didn't want the bears to draft a quarterback i mean i've fallen in love with the kid because he's proven he's you see the flashes like man this guy can really be special there was a play he made against detroit he made a scramble on fourth and 13 made a move gets 18 yards there was a throw he made against the uh the ravens that set up the field goal that helped us win that one and over time you've seen these little flashes but he had nothing to support him you know there's only so much the running game can do when you're placing when your defensive opponents are playing short yardage every single down like, they are loaded for bear as far as the running game is concerned because they know that you're not going to throw it. Or that you can't, anyway, right. one of the two. Right. So it was, um, you know, I wasn't a fan of the move. And I didn't, I wasn't a fan of Trubisky playing at all uh, for the, you know, but after Mike Lennon showed his true colors last year, <laughs> you, you had to put him out there. You just had to. Yeah. You know, right. like, if we want any chance of winning any football games, Trubisky's got to be the guy. He's the best quarterback on the team. Right. So, and he won me over throughout the year. I mean, I, I kind of yeah. gave in and like, hey, man, go ahead, put him in there. Why not? Can't get any worse. You know, it's like, I hope we, I just <laughs> yeah. hope we don't ruin the kid. You know, right. it's like, we got nothing right. out there for him. I just hope we don't put him in some bad habits and screw him up. And then, uh, you know, like we, like I said, this offseason was all about him uh, with, from the head coach to all of the, tool, the tools and, and, and uh, players that we went and got to support him. Um, we'll see. I mean, I'm definitely 100% Trubisky. Now, when we picked him, no freaking way, man. Not at all. Was not happy about it. Had very little to do with him uh, at, at all, but uh, the fact that we drafted a quarterback at all I thought was insane last year. No, that makes sense. And I'm rooting for him. I think there's a lot of young quarterback talent with a lot of potential in the league right now, and there's a potential the next maybe two to four years of total sea change. The Brady, the Breeze, the Rodgers, those guys are going out, and you've got the Sam Darnolds and the Mayfields and the Drubitskis and the, the Mariotas kind of coming in. Um, hopefully these guys will all kind of usher in a new era of football, and we can see some really exciting stuff coming yeah, up. Yeah, that would be nice. That would yeah. be nice. And, uh, Alec, I really appreciate you being on the show, man. Um, yeah, had a happy, great time. Happy. And, um, you know, like we, uh, we'd like to do during the regular season is to uh, bring you back uh, when, we, when it's time for the Bears and the, the Patriots, the bonk heads there, week seven, uh, to have you back on uh, that week, talk about the year up to that point and uh, what we think is going to happen on that Sunday. I would love that, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. So where can we find you uh, online? Where can we see your writing or anything like that? Yeah, you can find me at, uh, at patspulpit.com. I post there 
three to four times a week during season, a little less in season. Uh, I do a Pat's Pulpit podcast with my co-writer and managing editor, Rich Hill. Um, we do that every every Monday or Tuesday or whatever after the, after the game. And uh, we also do a live YouTube G-Chat uh, hangout pregame to talk about, break things down. Uh, we'll start doing that, pick it up in the, in the preseason in August. So you can nice. find us at all those spots. Nice, nice. All right. Well, thanks so much uh, for being on the show. We look forward to having you back on the in, or during the regular season, man. You bet, man. Thanks. All right. So Alex Shane from Pat's Pulpit helping us preview the 2018 New England Patriots. And, you know, it's, uh, you know I said, Alec, that um, we're, gonna, we're, we're here for you because uh, I know how tough it's been being so goddamn successful for the last <laughs> 20 years that it, it must really be tough. You know, as like Trump said during his campaign, you're just going to be sick of winning by the end of it. You know, and I know you guys have to be sick of winning just waiting for that 5-11 and 11 season to come and relieve you from all of this success, right? We have no rings on the other hand. Don't you understand? <laughs> Absolutely. You got to get one for the for the other hand. Gotta, you know, I mean, you got AFC Championship games for both hands, but you don't have, don't have the Super Bowl ring. So you're still working on, on uh, filling up that second hand. So, Alec, thanks so much for being on the show. We'll talk to you soon, man. See you, bud. All right. That was Alex Shane from Pat's Pulpit and SB Nation. They also do a Pat's Pulpit podcast. That's probably going to be pretty cool to uh, listen to. Hopefully I can get myself in there. Maybe uh, have a chat with them week seven. Maybe do a little home and home thing with them and uh, we'll see how that works out. Uh, that closes the book on the AFC East, man. It's uh, it's time to move on to the NFC West, and then before you know it, we'll be talking to our uh, to our awesome friends in the AFC North and, and Chris Gates and Jeremy Reisman, Evan Western, you know, talking about our old friends, the Packers, the Lions, and the Vikings. Then we get on to our beloved, wrap this bad boy up and go into training camp, the preseason, 2018 regular season. And um, I hope you guys like the music that I picked this week. I don't know why it's been so funny to me listening to that over and over again. I just thought I like kind of like to have uh, pick songs that kind of fall in some kind of theme with the team that we're playing and uh, and whatnot. And um, <laughs> or that we're talking about, I should say, not the team we're playing. But uh, you know, for some reason, that's the that's the the song that got stuck in my head. I went and found it online yesterday and downloaded it. For anybody who's having a trouble having trouble placing it, it is from the Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid back in '84, and it's the song that plays over the the tournament montage where uh, Daniel Larusso. Uh, fights his way to the finals and all that kind of stuff. It's the song that's playing while he's winning all of his fights uh, in the tournament. And uh, I don't know why it's funny to me. I guess because it's really the first time I ever sat down and really listened to that song. And it's just so 80s cheeseball terrible. I guess that's why it's so funny to me. But um, anyway, I'd like I, every time I you know was putting this segment together and listening to it, it sounds so funny to me. You're the best around. It's... it's uh, anyway, I'm going to go now. And, uh, you know, so we officially closed the book on the AFC East. We move on to the NFC West. We'll be starting with the San Francisco 49ers, which means we're going to have our friend Tracy Sadler from the 49er, uh, for the, excuse me, from the Fangirl uh, Sports Network. Uh, the 49er Fangirl have her on the show to talk about, uh, you know, talk about the later half of 2017 because when we had her on the show to preview the bears and the niners it was a one in ten team that we were talking to and uh 
Little did we know that was the first of five straight victories that the 49ers are going to rattle off with Garoppolo as their starting quarterback. They've had an, a crazy offseason with the draft and, and all the rest of that stuff, and everyone's expecting big things from the 49ers. What are What is an actual 49er fan expecting from the 49ers? Is the sky is the limit kind of thing? You know, does she think that they can be the Rams or the Eagles of the uh, of uh, you know of 2018 and and you know be that team that makes a big leap uh, in year number two of this awesome quarterback that they went out and had to go get and uh, and whatnot? We don't play the the 49ers till week 16. Uh, this year so when we talk to Tracy next week it's going to be like six months before we talk to her again on the eve of the end of the season so um, there's going to be a lot going down between uh, you know when we talk to her next week and when we talk to her again uh, right before the season closes down so we'll basically have an answer to every single question we're going to talk about uh, next week so I'm looking forward to having her on so uh, forward to that and then we're working on people for the Falcons Cardinals uh, Seahawks and Rams to uh, you know book up the uh, NFC West. So uh, come on back next week, probably Monday or Tuesday, for the 49ers show with Tracy Sadler from the Fangirl Network. And uh, until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review.